So inside your folder, those texts that David read are there, and I'm going to focus on the third one of her favorites because it is the one that rings with hope, and that's what we need when we lose someone very precious to us and struggle with our own coming death. May the God of hope, you see it there, Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope, so the verse begins with hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the verse ends with hope, you may abound in hope. In fact, that whole unit, starting at verse 4 of, of Romans 15, on down through the end of the chapter, rings with hope. Let me read verse 4 so that you can see how the theme of hope comes to a climax there in verse 13. Verse 4 said, whatever was written in former days, now let this sink in because that's the entire Old Testament, okay? Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through the endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. That's incredible. The, the whole Old Testament, all those strange stories, all the prophets, all the Psalms were written that we might have hope. Right now, in this room, facing death, in front of us, behind her, And here's what's really wonderful and remarkable about the text is that it is very aware that the Old Testament was written for Jews. It's a Jewish book. And it's aware that the Messiah, Jesus, came into the world and died and rose again and opened the door to the nations every single ethnicity on the planet and said, all those promises back there, I bought for anybody who believes me. That's what my blood means. I bought those promises. Every promise is yes in Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse 20, including all the Gentile names like Malmston and Aronson. Now, what kind of hope does he have in mind? Chapter 5, verse 2. Through Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's our hope. So Marlis's ultimate hope was to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, to see it. But seeing would not be enough, would it, if we were still plagued with a decrepit, painful, dying body? And if the world were still feel, filled with brokenness? So, chapter 8 of Romans says, God subjected the creation to futility. That's death. That, that body right there is what is meant by futility. And we're all going there. 
That's built into creation ever since the fall. God ordained that there be futility in the world, corruption in the world, death in the world. That's because sin entered the world. But listen to this amazing verse as he says that. God subjected the creation to futility in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God, which means that she wasn't just hoping to see glory, but to be glorious, the glory of the children of God. Do you know what Jesus said about every one of you Christians? Chapter 13 of Matthew, verse 43, you will shine like the sun in the kingdom of your father. You do not look that way now. You know how many planet Earths can fit into the sun? One million. And it's all fire. And you, I'm looking at you. You are not an impressive lot. We dying, fading people, Paul says, are inglorious. This mortality must put on immortality. This perishable must put on imperishability. This tiny fading spark of my life must shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. That's hope. So see glory and be glorious is what this verse is talking about when it says the God of hope and that you may abound in hope. Let me read you some more of the context because it is so good. Christ, this is verse 8, just before verse 13. Christ became a servant to the circumcised. Now that means he became a Jew to minister as the Messiah to the Jewish people. He became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises to the patriarchs. So he's coming, Jesus came to confirm all the promises made to the Jewish people. And then he broadens it out like this. And in order that the Gentiles, now there may be a few Jewish folks in here, I don't know, but most of us are Gentiles, that is, we're non-Jews. And so he adds, and he came in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So the coming of Jesus was, was yes to Israel and yes to the world. Every ethnicity, all the peoples, all the tribes, all the tongues, all the nations. And then to underline it, he quotes four Old Testament passages to say, hey, Jewish folks, it's for the nations too. Listen to these. This is not verse 9. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. Second, and again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Third, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. Fourth, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. And then he adds, 
and in him the Gentiles will hope. So from verse 4 through 8 through 9 through 9 to 12 and now verse 13, it's all hope for the nations, for non-Jewish people who will connect with the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, and his death and his resurrection. There's this hope to see the glory and be glorious forever with Marlis in the kingdom that is coming. So let me just say a few things about verse 13. Number one. I see six steps, and they all are just a couple of minutes, so don't panic. Six steps in this verse toward Marlis's hope, and if you're in Christ, ours, yours. Number one, the God of hope. You see how the verse begins? So you can keep looking at that verse there. All six of these come out of this verse right there on your worship folder. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Everything begins with God. No God, no hope. And so we start with God. Number two, second step toward hope. God has spoken. Now that's not explicit in the verse, but it's implicit in the word in believing, isn't it? It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. In believing what? All those words I just gave you, all those passages from Scripture, all the promises of God that are yes in Christ Jesus, believe those. So second, by implication, God has spoken. Step one, God. Step two, the Word of God. Now step three, the Spirit of God. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. If you right now are hoping more in God than in money, more in God than in pension, more in God than in family, more in God than in health. You didn't create that hope. The Holy Spirit did, because it's a miracle. Marlis and you and I were born depraved, dead. Not dead in every way, just dead to God, dead to Christ, dead to hope in Christ. And the Holy Spirit turns it around. So at a point in Marlis's life, and I presume you've got the record, you said she wrote this out for you, how she came to Christ. So I'm just presuming in a family like hers, she heard the Word of God all the way home from the hospital after she was born. <laughs> and every day after that, and at a point, at a point, and most of us frankly don't know that point, you don't. You may think you do, but you don't, because it's to totally sovereign. God moves into your heart at 6 or 16 or 26, and he does the miracle called new birth. And the new birth is the opening of the eyes to see that word that's been spoken to you all along as, that's real, that's beautiful, that's true, that's satisfying, that's glorious. That's what the Holy Spirit has to do in order for there to be joy and peace. 
That's step number, what is it, three. Number four, so God of hope, word of God, spirit of God, power, and now four is faith. Again, back to that phrase, in believing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So here's the key question, practically. For, so some of you are going to live another year, That's, and some, I'm looking around, 30 or 40. And during those days, what will connect the Holy Spirit and His power with joy and peace in your heart? What's the connection? And the answer is in that phrase right there. In believing. May He fill you with joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you abound in hope. The, the practical link, when you go home this afternoon and do not feel joy and peace, what are you going to do? How are you going to fix that? Does the Bible give any practical suggestion for how you could become, as a child of God, a hopeful child of God, a happy child of God, a peaceful child of God, in spite of all that you are going to face in the next years? And the answer is in believing, which simply means take those promises, all those ones that she wrote down, put them by our bed, A, B, C, D, and collect your promises and take hold of them and believe them. I mean, I got promises in my head that are like the gear sound when the car's in neutral. Fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. That's the sound of the gears in my brain when it's in neutral. I live by promises. How else can you make it through the day without God speaking to you? I'm for you. I'm not against you. I have forgiven you. You're mine. I adopted you. You're in my family. I'm going to keep you by the power of God. I just read that this morning in 1 Peter chapter 1. Kept by the power of God. 76. Some of you are a lot older than that. She was, what, 13 years older than that. And she would sing it. He kept me. He kept me. Why else are you a Christian, right? What a glorious thing that in believing by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can enjoy peace and joy. So collect your promises, believe them, and through that, the Holy Spirit gives you joy and peace. So that's step five, joy and peace. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Now, those three texts came from Alice, came from Marlis through Alice to David and me. And as I looked at them, I thought, I think probably, I, I was trying to think, what's the common denominator between these three verses? Like, what is it that, that drew her here? What made her tick inside? And I think it was the joy and peace part. And the reason I think that is because the other one, the one that's printed there under Philippians, has those two themes. Let's read that one and see if you see them. So you can't miss the first one. Rejoice 
in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So double joy. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace. So there you have it. Joy and peace. Joy and peace. So joy and peace in the second verse, joy and peace in the third verse. And the first one up there is just thank you, thank you, thank you. So joy and peace in believing, it seems to me, Alice, is why probably she loved these especially. That's a warfare for all of us. I mean, some people have personalities that are sort of chipper, and others of us are more, um, less chipper. <laughs> and we have to work harder. We have to fight for joy and fight for peace. And, and that's what Paul said. I have fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the course. And uh, she was a good, good fighter. I don't know whether it came naturally to her or not, but she certainly, I mean, that was her spot right over there. This building is 21 years old. And she had her spot right over there. And the other building, she had her spot as well. And she was a good fighter. She fought with the Word of God. She listened well, and she responded well to the Word of God. She was a great encouragement to me. Step number six is a surprise. Because you see it at the end, abounding in hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Now, you may say, well, why, do you, why do you say that's surprising? Because you already said it begins with hope, it ends with hope. This whole message is about hope. What's the surprise? The surprise is this. I don't think in terms of joy and peace yielding hope. I think the other way around. In fact, it's true the other way around. It's essentially true the other way around. So think back on your, on, on your conversion and your growth as a Christian. You're not going to have any joy and peace without hope. If you're a hopeless person, where would joy and peace come from? So this is a surprising ending for me. Like, hmm. What are you thinking, Paul? Because I can show you from Romans and other parts of the New Testament where coming to Christ means having your eyes open to how hopeful the future can be if you believe in Jesus. And so the first thing quickened in your heart is, you're real, I trust you, and I'm feeling hope for the first time in my life that my sins could be forgiven and my death might not be the end and I might have eternal happiness. And from that comes joy. From that comes peace. So what's he thinking? I think he's thinking like this. The aboundingness of it, the fullness of hope is never exhausted in this life. It's not as though when you become a Christian, you get hope. Never grows, never bigger, never smaller. It's just like there. That's crazy. That's not true. Hope wanes, hope waxes, hope abounds or not. It's just a real dynamic thing in your life. So how does abundant hope, abounding hope flow from joy and peace? 
May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing in order that you might abound in hope. Like hope, here's my little metaphor. Hope among the many things it feeds on, like promises, feeds on its own fruit. Joy and peace. Hope was back here at the beginning. When you became a Christian, God put hope in your heart. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Among the first realities in the newborn heart is hope, and it yields joy and peace. And now he says, and as you have joy and peace through the hardships of your life, you look back and you say, I made it. I, I made it through my mom's funeral. I made it through the loss of my husband. You know, Merlin probably passed away right about here, like right about here somewhere. This used to be a parking lot, right? Y'all remember this? This was a parking lot. And my office used to look out on the parking lot, which I enjoyed very much because I could see who, which couples held hands when they left and which didn't. It helped me understand what's going on in life. That was a startling morning for a young pastor like me to know that one of my dearest members dropped dead between the services and I had to preach one more time. And she shows up with you in the balcony as my sermon begins. And she took my hand afterwards, and like many of the older women did, I didn't know what to do with this. They would take your hand, they push against their tummy. I don't know what that means. <laughs> older women, at least 40 years ago, they used to do this. They'd take your hand, push against their tummy, and say, Pastor, I just needed the word. I just needed the word. That's why I came back. So where was I? Oh, that's not in this manuscript here. And I need to find my way back to where, where I was. Merlin, right here, abounding in hope, surprise. Oh, yes. It, it feeds, hope feeds on its fruit. So let me just describe that one more time and we'll be, we'll be done. Romans 5 says this. This is what's cluing me in to how hope feeds and gets stronger as it looks at its own fruit. Romans 5 says, we rejoice in tribulation, knowing that tribulation works patience, and patience works approvedness, and approvedness works hope, and hope does not put us to shame. How does being approved after tribulation work hope. It goes like this. You're hoping in God and you're resting in God and he smashes you with some calamity. Whatever. Cancer diagnosis, car wreck, death of your mom. And your hope is threatened. Your joy is threatened. And you might turn on God at this point. And instead, the Holy Spirit empowers you to move through the tribulation, 
a month, two, three months. You come out on the other side believing. You come out on the other side and you look back at the tribulation and the months of difficulty and how you survived it and you say, I'm real. I'm a real Christian. I didn't throw it away. And hope feeds on that assurance. Hope feeds on that endurance and that approvedness. I think that's the idea here. Of course, hope is at the front end and it produces joy and peace. But when joy and peace abound through the troubles of life, hope abounds more and more because it feeds on its own fruit. So, Marlis, in choosing this verse for us, has served us well, served me well anyway, thank you, in directing my attention to the hope that I will see him and his glory and I will be like him, shining like the sun, and you will too. In a moment, right, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, imperishable, for this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then will come to pass what is written, death is swallowed up in victory, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your enemy-like consumption of me? Sin is the power of death, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, my closing, therefore, for all God's people, Therefore, be steadfast in the years you've got left. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Father, I pray with great thankfulness that you are faithful. We're going to sing it, that you are faithful. You were faithful to Marlis. You kept her and you're faithful to all your children. You lose none of them. So grant us to believe in that promise and so experience joy and peace and abounding hope. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.